Hey, Spencer, it's me. I, uh, I hear you put out a third uh, edition of Osseus. And, uh, well, I, uh, I'm still, I'm still, my, my agent's still, uh, still waiting. We're still, we're still waiting for the, uh, for the call. Because, uh, cause, you know, I still got it. I still got it. I still got it, you know. I still got that, uh, got the old magic. Uh, bring it out for us. You know, I don't, I don't bring it out for uh, just any, any old project, you know. Got to, I only save it, save it for us. Save it for us. Time to make a little match. <laughs> Slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany And make a part in about time too about not playing D&D It was free for all and I heard him say he bought my borderlands But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick Cause you're incapable A-A-M's. Sorry. Note to self. Finish flossing before you start recording. Hello and welcome to Keep Off The Borderlands. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall. And I've got a whole bunch of messages, but one thing before we get into that. Safinho, if you're listening, apologies for the impersonation. It's pretty bad. Let's kick things off with a bunch of messages from Liren of Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. Hey Spencer, it's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. I'm just listening to um, your last episode and uh, Jason's comment about going back and editing old episodes and like changing the narrative I'm not sure you can help but change the narrative some if you remove commentary from other people. I don't know. I mean, I think, to me, I I have such a strong thing about integrity. And I mean, it may be to the point of being a flaw. I don't know. I don't think so. But obviously, if I thought so, I would behave differently. (laughs) But like, to me, it makes a lot more sense to leave historical documentation intact and record an episode that wraps it all up and insert it in there. And you can always say that you did it. I mean, to me, that would be the way to do it without any removal of anyone's words or their concepts uh, from your episode. Anyway, back to listening. Hey, Liren. I see where you're coming from. And I think that's the choice that I would make. But if I do send someone a message and, um, you know, I don't specify that it's private, then it's basically theirs to do with as they please and you know i hope that they treat it with respect but i've certainly sent messages in the past that i've sent in the context of listening to a particular episode only to hear it appear in a subsequent episode being responded to by someone in a very different frame of mind and you know that's not a criticism it's just something that happens you know it's the nature of the beast but um well, as for integrity, I just think that folks have the best of intentions. Generally speaking, I try to remind myself that 
they're trying to do the best that they can. And, you know, obviously that doesn't always happen, but I find the world to be a much better place if I can remind myself of that. And you don't necessarily have to go back into history to change people's perceptions. Just look at the world today. We appear to have very short memories. At least that's what those in power seem to think, in my opinion. They do say that history is written by the victors, which is why... I don't believe it! Hey Spencer, Liren again. I'm going to make sure Jeff listens to this episode. I know he usually listens to your show. But um, I, you know, I can see Jason's point, but I also understand what you're saying. So I think that saying that a game's rule set is narratively driven is a different thing than a GM who's running at a convention or something, putting up a game description that says that he's he's going to run X game and it's going to be narrative or not. Now, something like PBTA, I don't know how you would ever run PBTA mechanically. I mean, the mechanics of PBTA are the narrative. But, I, so I think those are two, actually, two different factors. How does the GM label his GMing style? And what are the mechanics of the game designed for? If I'm somebody who loves the lore and the tropes of original D&D or, you know, old school or whatever you want to call it, I might still enjoy playing in a game that is more narratively run. And I would need the GM to say, I'm going to run this session of, you know, whatever old school you want to choose. And it's going to be run in a very narrative style. So like, that's a different thing. I don't know. It gets really complicated at the point that you're like, okay, there's labels on games this is how the rules are driven I you certainly couldn't say anything about any of the PBTA games I've ever played except that they're narratively driven and then saying but but then also on top of that it's like you know the cherry on top of the parfait the GM needs to then put his touch on it and say here's how I like to run games of course all of that is spoken by someone who came to the game late and from a different angle than most people so take it with a grain of salt or however you want to. <laughs> I just know if I went to a convention, I would find it interesting to know if the game is narratively driven, rules written, that you know, the way the rules are designed, and whether or not the GM embraces narrative or runs mechanically or goes with the table. So I don't know. Like I've said a hundred times, I wish I had some magic set of labels that I could slap them down on the table and go, here's the very ones, but I don't. So (laughs) I'm just going to keep hoping that gets created by someone. (laughs) All right, back to listening. Yeah, I think that's where me and Jason have been talking at slightly cross purposes. I've been talking about rules and Jason has been talking about play style. Probably because he's a GM and I'm not. And yes, it makes sense that a GM can choose to lean into that or not. And I guess the best that can be done as far as describing what kind of game it's going to be, you know, if you're not able to have a session zero, is to name the game that you're playing and here's how you're going to run it. Um... I'm sure there's ways of conveying that quite succinctly, although you probably have to look elsewhere for that. (laughs) 
Um, I mean, you've got the whole free Kriegspiel thing going on at the moment, which says practically nothing about rules. Playing worlds, not rules, I think, is the philosophy. Which, as I understand it, is taking that emergent nature of play and applying it to the rules themselves. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine what that would look like, and I'm sure it's a step too far for many. You know, almost abandoning the idea of rules and embracing the idea of rulings, coming up with stuff at the table. Um, and as for a PBTA game with traditional D&D tropes, well, that's what I understand Dungeon World to be. Hey Spencer, I'm listening to your episode and you're talking about the game you played with Arlen, and I find myself curious if you have ever played a PBTA game. What you're describing as narrative sounds like metagaming to me, but when I'm playing PBTA, I don't feel like we're metagaming. So I think they're actually two different things. I'm not sure, but um, if it sounds like you're kind of using the term metagaming in the sense it was in Arlen's game, interchangeably with story game, and I, I don't think they're the same thing. Anyway, I, I don't know if you've played a game that specifically the goal of the rules was narrative but I know you've played into the odd and I'm not sure how the rules of that are so anyway okay back to listening I've yet to play a TDA a PP a PBTA game I've yet to play a PP I've yet to play a PBTA PP why can't I say it <laughs> a PBTA game and I would certainly love to. That's probably why I don't play it. To me, PBTA games are kind of in that middle ground, you know, between, uh, for want of a better term, the more traditional RPG and the story game. I guess I'm I'm not necessarily considering them firmly in the story game category. As Safinio helpfully picked out of what I was saying Previously, a story game has to have some kind of non-diegetic, i.e. above the fiction, mechanics influencing how things are going to play out. You know, and the, the traditional RPGs have none of that. Well, have very little of that, maybe. You could certainly find things that you could attribute to narrative play, but what I think PBTA games cleverly do is take some of those story game principles and place them firmly within the fiction. So you don't have to discuss any of that stuff. It's baked in there. You just do it. As I say, I've not played any PBTA, so I'm probably not the best person to be talking about it. I mean, it's, it's at this point where I need someone like Savigno to call back in and say something along the lines of, Of course you're absolutely correct, Spencer, and remarkably insightful for somebody who doesn't understand what the bloody hell they are banging on about. Or words to that effect. And Jeff, uh, Jeff Collier of Time of All Dooms, I would love to hear your thoughts, if you're listening, and you're... <laughs> you're interested in getting caught up in all this mess 
Um, I'd certainly love to hear from you. There's also the point of what the dice represent, and I think I think that's an interesting distinction to make, especially with PBTA and less story-focused games, like um, the idea of failing forward. Broadly speaking, traditionally, the player is rolling the dice to test their character skills, but in PBTA, you're rolling to alter the fiction. Rather than simulating the physics of a world, you are adding to the story. In fact, I think that's what I found most interesting about Sword and Scoundrel, that when you're failing a role, it doesn't mean your character has actually made a mistake, but that something beyond their control has changed. Um, it's an opportunity to introduce something something new and interesting into a situation. You know, the environment isn't playing ball. I mean, and that has the benefit of maintaining a sense of competence, as I've said before, that your character is not necessarily the one at fault when things go wrong. And that's certainly an idea I wouldn't mind experimenting with. But thank you very much for those calls, Lear, and I really appreciate that, and uh, great to hear from you. Hey there, Spencer. It's John here from the Red Dice Stories. Just listening to your latest episode, 176. Uh, enjoying the call-ins and your answers to those. Yeah, I mean, in response to Joe's call-in, where he's saying, oh, you know, the OSR community is fairly inclusive, as long as you toe that party line that the OSR is like the best thing since sliced bread. I'm sure for some people that's true. However, I think as you were rightly saying, Spencer, that's true for a lot of people in a lot of different communities. I mean, let's face it, if you went in a 5th edition game and were like, oh, what other... Sorry, a 5th edition community, and you are like, oh, what other good games are there apart from 5th edition? How many people would you get leaping up and be like, no, 5th edition is the best? Not saying everyone would do, but, you know, in every community, you get people who think their thing and their way is, like, the one true way. That's just how these things go. And I think part of that's down to the nature of communication on the internet where it's quite anonymous you're at a safe distance from people you're talking to so certain people not everyone of course but like certain people feel they can really like sass off to people and there's no risk of them getting a slap around the chops which would probably happen if they were sassing off to the person's face so but we could go into a load of detail about that but then i'd be leaving you about like a million anchor calls so i won't get into that now um as for myself don't get me wrong I love OSR. I, I consider myself part of the OSR community, rightly or wrongly, and I enjoy running it. OSR is not my main port of call nowadays. Do I think the rules are the best in the world? No, not really, not at all. So I definitely wouldn't be one of these people saying, like, you know, you've got to tow the party down, like, the OSR is the best thing in the universe. What they are for me is there are a set of rules that I'm comfortable with, that I can adapt fairly easily and that I don't want to spend a lot of time learning extra stuff, thinking about or sort of delving into. I can just concentrate on like running the actual game. May not be the best reason in the world, but you know, 
that's the reason why I like them. Would I say they're the best rules in the world? No, certainly not. And you know what? If you like other stuff, you crack on with that. That is absolutely fine. No problems as far as I'm concerned. But I think with any sort of communities online, they tend to expand from sort of like a core group of people who sort of like share the same beliefs and their sort of views are closely aligned. And then obviously as a community expands and you add more people to it, you start getting people with like different viewpoints and different rationales and stuff like that coming in. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing per se, but obviously more different views, particularly online, means there's more potential for conflict. So as a community increases in size, the likelihood that the people with different ideas and different ideologies will split off to form a little splinter group increases sort of exponentially, if that's the right word. And then obviously these splinter communities in turn, they'll start adding more people to them and the whole process will repeat again ad infinitum. Anyway, that's just a few of my rambling thoughts, Spencer. I'm going to get back to the rest of the episode. Really enjoying it. Take care, dude, and I'll catch you soon. That was John Allen Large there from Red Dice Diaries. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much for your messages, John. Um, obviously, Joe's message was about his experience of the OSR. But as you say, as he pointed out himself, that the same goes on in the 5e community. And, like I say, I saw similar things going on in the indie community. And it's just a feature of communities, I guess, I don't believe the OSR is a special case and has some kind of monopoly on a-holes. I mean, let's just be clear. We're all, what we're talking about here, it's all our own personal experience with particular communities. And um, there are contentious people in the world. Therefore, there are contentious individuals in communities. And our perception of a community can only be based on our personal interaction with it and if we witness this stuff then that's what's going to stay with us and in fact you know there's a logical fallacy known as group attribution error and it's something that we all do you take the characteristics of certain individuals that claim to be part of a particular community and then you use that to represent the group you know it's just how things work one way of dealing with it is just to ask yourself if what someone is doing is good or bad and forget who they claim to be representing. Treat them as individuals. And then you've got confirmation bias where it, you're essentially just confirming your preconceptions. If you're looking out for that problematic stuff, that's what you're going to see. And vice versa. Also, otherwise rational folks can get a bit culty having a very narrow idea of what people within their group should be focusing on. And if you don't share that idea, they may feel threatened by it and do whatever they believe it takes to drive you away. You know, but that's just group dynamics for you. Why can't we all just get along? Thanks very much for your calls, John. Um, I've got to say, I do enjoy all this critical thinking stuff.
Hey, Spencer, this is Joe over Biggest Geekus. A couple of thoughts uh, while listening to your, um, was it Quest for Inclusivity? My thoughts are that if you have a, a good product, a good podcast, you'll attract a lot of listeners, and that'll spark discussion. Hey, I think you have that already. I wouldn't change much. Just my two, two cents from a cis white male. Talk to you later. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Joe. That was Joe Harding there from Biggest Geekus, and I do appreciate the support. Don't worry, I haven't got any intentions of changing the way I do things, except maybe perhaps listen a bit more closely if I've got any intention of commenting on anybody else's podcast. I do this because I enjoy it. It's an open door, you know. It's always going to be free, and if you've got a device... You can listen to it, and what I love so much about this format is that anyone can call in. Obviously, I speak for myself, and that's all I can do, unless for some reason someone might need me to speak on their behalf, and I can't control what people want to project onto me. If I talk about a specific group, I'm talking about my experience with it, as I said previously, and I assume that people understand that, you know. I do what I can to consider the experiences of others and I try to stay informed. But at the end of the day, it's just me, some guy with arguably pretty milquetoast opinions talking into his phone. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. That was a party political broadcast on behalf of the Free Thrall Party. Next up, I've got someone who's clearly had a skinful and is spoiling for a bit of a Barney. Put him up! Put him up! Hi Spencer, it's Barney. I think you're absolutely right. It's all about not shutting down conversation. So, in that vein, this is Tipsy Friday coming right back at you. Um, I mean, a few things, really. I think it's a bit unfair that you kind of throw in underhand remarks about the fact that Andy Goodman is such a such a tormented railroader of a GM, you know, when when it's all, when he's trying to, you know, shape, you know, characters, narrative trajectories and all that kind of thing. So I just, you know, I mean, I really love Andy. So I, I think... I think we should treat him with a little bit more respect, even if, you know, he's like a recovering, he's like a recovering railroader, you know? I think we'd better call you a cab, sunshine. Firstly, yes, you're right. Andy does deserve better. Despite his many flaws, Andy is a good man. Literally a good man. The next thing is, why don't we all just stop chatting about all of this bullshit and just play Osseus? I've done my Marlon Brando accent many times, and I thought it was cutting through, but evidently it's not. So please, just, I don't know what, just, let's just, let's just play Osseus. Oh, that was Marlon Brando, was it? Well, Thanks for pointing that out. Um, Brando. Marlon Brando. Well, I never.
Yes, osseous. A little more about that in a moment. But no, hang on. No, hang on. Let's keep going with alluvial plains because I've just had a big alluvial plains week this week. Um, or last week. I can't even remember what week I had the big alluvial plains week. Talking at Creswell Crags again, running two games uh, for folk there. That was great. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more as soon as I get the chance. But... Um, you know, we've got we've got our game still, you know, coming well, coming to its end. Um, and so, you know, I mean, just because Osseus can be pumped out like three editions, you can be three editions in, right? Um, with no play test, Alluvial Plains is, needs to needs to get to first edition. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Have a nice weekend, bye. Yeah, I'm certainly very interested to hear how your big alluvial plains week went that was probably about three weeks ago by the time i put this out and i am eagerly anticipating the upcoming possibly concluding session of our alluvial plains campaign in Braylam. um as for the publishing of the alluvial plains i'm sure you're referencing the absence of my herbal supplement I've done all the fun bits, you know, all the research and stuff. That's the part I really enjoy. It's just a matter of kind of putting it all together. But I have found myself kind of wondering if it might be a little redundant, given the wonderful simplicity of the shamanic resonance system that you've come up with and how that's been working through the playtest. Um, perhaps that partially accounts for the lack of movement at my end there so um, I certainly need to follow that up and don't even get me started on League of Eternal Guardians which we haven't played in together for a while so you know I, I just I think I think I think more is more that's what I think. I think if less is more used to be what it was, now it's more is more. As for the League of Eternal Guardians, I can certainly say that I've, I've missed playing that. Such a fun game that I feel I've barely scratched the surface of. Just so much potential there. And uh, can't wait to get back into playing that. As for more is more? I don't know about that. I mean, Barney made reference there to the several editions of Osseus, my Arneson-inspired, simple, trifold 2D6 system that's available through itch. There was a brief period where I didn't have much in the way of games lined up and I was unable to put together any podcast episodes. And I, I kind of ended up revisiting Osseus and having discovered free Kriegspiel in the meantime I did feel that as simple as Osseus was it could be even leaner and that became Ossia Pura which has now been renamed as simply Pura P-U-R-A and I'll put a link to my itch page in the description uh, where you'll also find a little something called A Night in Vagalwood, 
all of which I will talk a bit more about next time. You know, uh, some people might be uh, off for cold and no knickers, but uh, you know, I'm all pipe and no slippers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, just to round things off, I want to thank the wonderful Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus for his tipsy taunting. And um, here's a final word from Goblin's henchman, who may very well already be regretting leaving me this message. Take it away, Mr. Henchman. Hi, Spencer. Um, Goblin's henchman here. So, just a quick message saying, join the show. Uh, I don't think I ring in very, I don't leave very many voice messages on your show. I think it's mainly because I probably agree with you most of the time, so there's not a lot extra for me to say. Um, but I did learn two things from listening to your show recently, um, and that's one that, uh, you know, people talk about the OSR being, you know, unforgiving kind of environment, but, you know, you, 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 uh, made an apology on on the air there because you think you got something wrong and you decide to correct it you know that's just the grown-up thing to do isn't it and uh, I don't think that's not OSR or whatever but it just shows it's about people and the second is that uh, you know that Barney Dicker Locus Ludus has favorites he rings in leaves many drunken messages he may even left drunken messages for um, Joe from hindsight this too but nothing for me nothing for me Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off The Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.